This is the Ontario Family Law Podcast, featuring issues related to marriage, separation, divorce, and even some child welfare issues. It is a companion to the book, A Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available as a paperback or ebook at Amazon, Kobo, or the Apple iBookstore. My name is John Schumann. I'm a certified specialist in family law, and I'm a family litigation lawyer, mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer, and I'm the partner leading the family law group at Devery Smith Frank LLP. Today on the 30th edition of the podcast, we look at the area where many people make expensive mistakes, the issue of entitlement to spousal support. The issue of spousal support arises as an issue for many people after they separate from their spouse. It is also an area where people make big and very expensive mistakes, especially when it comes to the issue of entitlement to spousal support. Just living with or marrying someone does not give them an automatic entitlement to spousal support. However, many people look at online spousal support calculators and assume that if those calculators give a range of support that is other than $0, there must be an entitlement to support. That is absolutely a mistake. The Spousal Support Advisory Guidelines, which provide the formulas on which online calculators are based, state that the calculation of the appropriate amount and duration of spousal support can only be done after there has been a determination that a spouse is entitled to spousal support. To put it another way, if a spouse cannot meet the legal onus of establishing that he or she is entitled to spousal support, then you do not even get to look at the online calculations. The appropriate amount of spousal support is nothing when there is no entitlement. Still, many people assume that a spouse is entitled to spousal support without looking at the legal tests. That can be a mistake that costs them thousands, potentially even millions of dollars over time. The legal issues involved in determining spousal support and entitlement are complex, and if you are in a case where spousal support is an issue, then you really need to speak to a good family law lawyer or do a lot of good research. Why don't you have your lawyer call my lawyer? On today's podcast, we will only be able to go over the basic and general rules for entitlement, but there are many intricacies and peculiarities that may affect your case. Today, you will learn about why you should not just assume that there is entitlement to spousal support. Most basically, to even be entitled to make any claim for spousal support, the spouses must have either been married, have lived together in an intimate relationship for at least three years, or live together and be the natural or adoptive parents of a child. If the spouses do not fall in one of those three categories, then there is absolutely no right to spousal support under Ontario law. The rules in other Canadian provinces differ slightly, especially for common law couples. So outside of Ontario, things may work a little differently than what I'm going to describe. But to recap this point, if you live together with someone for less than three years, but you do not have a child and you are not married, then it is not even possible to ask for spousal support. You may have heard of people who have agreed to spousal support in that situation. And if they did, it was almost certainly a very costly mistake, which, for reasons that I will explain in this podcast, may be impossible to revert. Even if one of those situations does exist, it does not mean that a spouse is automatically entitled to spousal support. The Divorce Act, which governs spousal support for separated married couples, and Ontario's Family Law Act, which governs spousal support for separating non-married couples, sets out several factors that the court must consider to decide whether a spouse is entitled to spousal support. It is always a good idea to look up those sections of the legislation so you can see the specific factors that might be relevant to your case. However, the courts have grouped these factors into three basic areas of entitlement. That means there are three ways that a spouse may become entitled to spousal support. These three ways are first, contractual obligation, second, non-compensatory support, and third, compensatory support. 
I will now briefly explain what each of those means. Contractual obligations are exactly what it sounds like. This is an area where the parties or spouses have agreed that notwithstanding what the law might say about entitlement, they agree that there is entitlement to spousal support. Most frequently this happens in marriage contracts where parties agree that if they stay together for a certain period of time, then spousal support will be paid regardless of any of the other factors. If there is a contract that says spousal support must be paid, then that is a contract that the court will follow unless there is a reason to set aside the contract, which was the subject of another podcast. While the usual place where you see contractual obligations for spousal support are created is in marriage contracts or cohabitation agreements, people can also do it in a separation agreement. However, often in separation agreements, they are doing it by mistake. If spouses just assume that there was an entitlement and agreed that spouse support should be paid, then they create a contractual entitlement to spousal support, regardless of whether there was a legal entitlement before the spouses signed the contract. When a spouse agrees to pay spousal support because he or she mistakenly assumed that there was entitlement, by signing the separation agreement, that spouse creates a legal entitlement to spousal support that that spouse may not be able to get out of paying unless he or she is able to convince the court that they did not understand the nature and consequences of the agreement that they signed. It can be very difficult to convince the judge that you did not understand the main consequences of your separation agreement if you had the assistance of a lawyer before you signed it. But a good family lawyer will not let you sign an agreement requiring you to pay spousal support if your spouse has not met the burden of establishing the entitlement under one or two of the other bases. Now to look at the other bases of entitlement the ideas of non-compensatory and compensatory support. Non-compensatory support is spousal support that is based on needs and not the role that a spouse assumed during the marriage, the sacrifices the spouse made during the marriage, or parenting responsibilities. At its simplest, the test for non-compensatory support is that this one spouse has needs and the other spouse has the ability to pay support. However, the actual considerations are more complex than that as one of the goals of spousal support is to allow each spouse to become economically self-sufficient. Still, when we talk about needs, we are talking about the money that one spouse needs to maintain a lifestyle similar to what he or she became accustomed to during the marriage. It takes time to become accustomed to a lifestyle, so a spouse in a short-term marriage or cohabitation may have a lot of difficulty establishing need as all of the breakdown means is that the spouse will be returning to the lifestyle that he or she was familiar with immediately before the relationship. The shorter the period of cohabitation, the harder it will be to establish a claim for non-compensatory support, except in a situation where the breakdown in the relationship means that one spouse is financially destitute and unable to support him or herself at all. In that situation, the goal of spouse support will only be to provide enough money for that spouse to get back on his or her feet. Another factor that can influence non-compensatory support is the result of the property claims. If, as a result of the marriage, one of the spouses does very well financially before receiving spousal support, it may be very difficult for the spouse to establish entitlement to support on the basis of a non-compensatory claim. So, for example, it will be very difficult to establish a claim for non-compensatory support if, as a result of the breakdown of the marriage, a spouse who previously had very little money is suddenly entitled to share in half the value of a very valuable matrimonial home that the other spouse brought into the marriage. And that results in what might be considered as a financial windfall for one spouse in that he or she came out of the marriage much better off financially than when he or she was entered the marriage. Any time when a spouse does not have new financial needs as a result of the cohabitation or the marriage, it will be difficult or impossible to establish entitlement to non-compensatory spousal support. Compensatory support 
is to compensate a spouse for work that he or she did for the other spouse or the sacrifices that he or she made during the marriage or for the financial burdens that a spouse will have to continue to bear as a result of parenting responsibilities. Except for the ongoing financial burden of parenting children, compensatory support is essentially calculated on the basis of what a spouse could have earned if she, he or she had not stopped working during the relationship to look after the other spouse or made sacrifices in his or her career to advance the economic situation of the other spouse. So when we look at how much compensatory support should be paid, we look at what amount of income the claiming spouse lost as a result of focusing on advancing the other spouse's economic position or fortunes. It is essentially a straight look at the question of how much would I have earned had I not taken time off work to look after my spouse, or how much income did I lose as a result of focusing my efforts on advancing my spouse's career rather than my own. An important consideration is that spouses may not be compensated for income that they gave up that had no economic benefit to the couple together. Put in another way, a spouse who just decided not to work, even if the other spouse agreed, may not be entitled to compensatory support if that spouse stopped working and did not help the other spouse advance their career or somehow earn a higher income or somehow otherwise improve the economic prospects for the couple, unless there were children. To illustrate this point, where there are no children in the relationship and both spouses continue to advance in their careers without giving up sacrifices to advance the career of the other spouse, then it will be nearly impossible to establish a compensatory support claim. Similarly, if in a childish relationship, one spouse stopped working, but that stopping work did not allow the other spouse to advance his or her career, either by working harder or making additional contacts or being able to travel or being freed up from other household responsibilities to devote more time to work, then the not working did not financially benefit the couple as a whole and it does not create a basis for compensatory support. There may still be a claim for non-compensatory support depending on the circumstances. Compensatory support is much easier to establish where there are children and one spouse has made more sacrifice than the other to raise those children or after separation will have a greater financial burden as a result of having to look after or having to care for the children. Where there are children, a spouse's career sacrifices do not have to result in, in the other spouse earning more money. A spouse is simply entitled to be con compensated for the income lost as a result of bearing the majority of the child care responsibilities. Also, and importantly, where the children continue to reside predominantly with one parent, or one parent continues to bear the majority of the responsibilities for raising the children after separation, that can also create a spousal support entitlement because that spouse will have to take time off work or give up career advancements or continue to make other sacrifices that negatively impact them economically in order to care for the children, even after separation. The losses going forward for a single parent who have to make sacrifices for the children can be large and result in a sizable entitlement to compensatory support. Where there is a claim for compensatory support, the amount of income lost, or anticipated to be lost, should provide guidance as to where spousal support should fall within the range of figures created by the Spousal Support Advisory Guideline calculations. All of that must be factored against the need to ensure both spouses are financially independent. Before looking at spousal support calculations, it is critical to speak to a lawyer and get an opinion as to entitlement. If entitlement cannot be established on one of the bases that we just discussed, then there will be no spousal support. Even if there is entitlement, how strong that entitlement is will affect where spousal support should fall within the range of support figures produced by the Spousal Support Advisory Guidelines. If entitlement is very weak or very strong, then just picking the midpoint for spousal support may also result in the wrong support amount. 
knowing how spousal support works in your situation can leave you with a lot more money in your pocket after separation than just making assumptions that could be incorrect. This has been the Ontario Family Law Podcast. My name is John Schumann. I'm a family lawyer practicing in Toronto, Ontario. You can reach me by calling 416-446-5847 or at our website, which is www.devrylaw.ca. That's www.devrylaw.ca. Look on our website or on iTunes for many other podcasts in this series and additional information on family law topics. We will talk again soon about other family law and children's rights issues. Thanks for listening.